You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany. And welcome back. You're listening to WCDB Albany. My name is Eric Hardiman, and I'm your co-host here on The Social Workers with Alyssa Lotmore. Welcome back, Alyssa. Hey, Eric. It's great to be here. It is great to be here. It's a, it's a sunny day here, and, and that's a good sign. We've got a great show lined up today. We may have some new listeners. You know, Periodically, we have a lot of regular listeners, people who tune in whenever we have a new interview. But sometimes we also have people that may be driving around in their cars, that may be tuning in all over the globe via the internet or listening via podcast, lots of different ways to hear our show, but let's uh, let's tell the audience a little bit about what we do here at The Social Workers. Well, one of the reasons that our show was created was to reach individuals who may never have considered seeing or using a social worker by the means of radio, and now it's via podcast as well. And our theme here at The Social Workers is, or our motto, I should say, is the public is the client. And how do we continue to reach individuals who might not be in our profession, might not know a lot about the social work world and the field, but how do we still get that valuable information out to the public? So a lot of our guests that come on are social workers who are working in the field, faculty, sometimes even students, or even those in the community who are doing social work in the sense of advocacy and working at nonprofits, but might not even be a social worker through their license, but we're still trying to highlight the work in this field. Yeah, and and we've, you know, over the years, we've been doing this show a number of years now, and over the years, we've really tried to promote the idea that uh, one of the roles of social work is education and is educating the community and is having conversations that are educational in nature and that tell us more about subjects. So the audience for our show is not just social workers. It's not just uh, purely, you know, a social work audience, but it's an audience for whom uh, any of these topics that are tangential or related to social work may have some appeal. And so we, you know, we really have a, a broad range of topics. So we're excited about uh, this coming, sem- I'm excited about this coming semester and all the interviews that we have lined up, all the great topics. Uh, today's a really good example. So our guest today is Beatrice Yorker. Beatrice has a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing from Indiana University, a Master's in Child and Adolescent Psychiatric Mental Health Nursing from the University of California, San Francisco, and a law degree from Georgia State University. She is currently a professor of nursing and criminal justice and criminalistics at California State University in Los Angeles. For 10 years prior, she served as Dean of the College of Health and Human Services, which included schools of nursing, social work, criminal justice, forensic science, kinesiology, dietetics, child development, and public health. Her clinical career includes work in child psychiatric nursing, forensic nursing, and as an expert witness in criminal, family, and civil cases. Her research focuses on Munchausen by proxy, a form of child abuse, and serial murder by nurses and other healthcare professionals. She's published a law review article on covert video surveillance of Munchausen by proxy and was co-editor of the APSAC Advisor 2018 special issue on Munchausen's. She's also a past board member of APSAC and currently serves on the Munchausen by Proxy Committee. 
She continues to teach psychiatric nursing and frequently offers training in Munchausen's and medical child abuse. That's uh, it's quite a bio, and we're honored and, and just thrilled to have you with us, uh, Beatrice. So uh, welcome to The Social Workers. Thank you. Now, let's just start off because I don't think, I mean, I don't know how popular, or not popular, how well-known Munchausen is to the general public. I mean, I think the first time I became familiar with it was through a movie, I'm sure The Sixth Sense, um, with Misha, Misha Barton's character back when I was a teenager. And I was like, what's going on here? You know, why is this mother making the child appear sick? So can you start off with just talking a little bit about Munchausen by proxy? Well, let's start with Munchausen syndrome. That is a psychiatric disorder where a person makes themselves ill for the purpose of getting medical attention. And a typical case, and this is actually a real case, is a registered nurse who passed out at work. They rushed her down to the emergency room. They drew blood and tried to figure out why she was unconscious and they saw that her blood sugar was dangerously low. So they pumped her with some IVs with some sugar in them and told her to eat before she came to work. And the next time she passed out at work, they rushed her down and they thought, oh my gosh, she must have a pancreatic tumor to produce so much insulin to be um, having her blood sugar so dangerously low. So they took out her pancreas and sent her back. And when she recovered, she went back to work. A few months later, she passed out again at work. Only then did the doctors in the emergency room start to think maybe the insulin was not coming from her pancreas. Maybe it was from somewhere else. Sure enough, she confessed to taking her patient's insulin and injecting herself to cause hypoglycemic shock. That is a case of Munchausen syndrome. By proxy is when instead of making yourself sick, you make a dependent in your care ill. Most of the time, this is a child. And most of the time, it's a very young child who's not even aware, an infant or preverbal. Although it can be perpetrated on older children. And in my case, I have studied nurses who have injected their patients to cause critical incidents and cardiac arrests. Um, And that is another form of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Instead of doing it on yourself, you do it on somebody that's in your care. Sure. And so how long has this been in the DSM and the Diagnostic uh, Statistic Manual? Well, it's very controversial in the DSM. It is Mm -hmm. actually listed as factitious disorder imposed on another. And if it's on yourself, it's factitious disorder imposed on self. So the DSM and the field of psychiatry has really argued about this Munchausen term. We don't like it. We don't like calling it a syndrome. but because the original article by Asher and then by Roy Meadow used the term named after Baron von Munchausen, who Mm -hmm. was uh, a soldier who told fanciful tales about his war exploits and he was crisscrossed with scars 
that it turns out he had inflicted on himself. So um, in the literature, the Munchausen term got to be very popular. And since I also do law review articles in the legal literature, the two most popular terms are Munchausen by proxy and medical child abuse. Okay. Those are the, so the DSM is more if you are asked to evaluate a perpetrator, but because this is a personality disorder uh, with some psychopathy, some narcissism, some history, histrionic stuff, um, it's very hard to diagnose somebody by interviewing them or even with psychological tests to figure out if they have this disorder. Mm-hmm. How widespread is it? Do you, do you have a sense of, you know, because I think like Alyssa, a lot of people uh, have been introduced to this through film or through movies or TV. And I'm just, uh, you know, trying to get a sense of uh, the epidemiology and sort of how, how uh, widespread it is. The Academy of Pediatrics has done a meta-analysis of the literature, and they say it's between 05 to 2%. And we believe that that's an underestimation because every single large university-based pediatric hospital, once they start getting training on this and the warning signs and how to recognize it, all of a sudden they are getting like 15, 16 cases a year that they are asked to evaluate. And I like how you just mentioned that, you know, once people are aware of this, uh, you know, doctors and pediatricians are aware of the the symptoms and the signs that they're able to diagnose it more. So it might be more common. But what are some of those signs? How would one know that, hey, something's not right here? Or why are these children getting sick so often? Well, the first thing is they're getting sick so often. <laughs> and if these are what we call frequent flyers, yeah. kids that are coming through, uh, on a regular basis, they just don't seem to get fixed. They develop another multi-system complaint after another. So first of all, we should flag any frequent flyer and determine, do they really have an underlying chronic illness? Um, And if they do, then we need to address that and try to prevent the um, necessity for lots lots of ER visits or lots of hospitalizations. On the other hand, if the workup is finding one negative result after another, and yet the parent, and I will say this is 95% mothers. So I will just use the term mother, even though fathers and grandmothers have also perpetrated, even babysitters have perpetrated this. I'll use the term mothers. So the mother will give a history that says, oh, the child has had a terribly high fever. They've been vomiting all night. Um, They're not keeping any food down, they're losing weight, and yet all the tests turn up negative, then maybe they start thinking mom is starving the child or mom is lying. Oh, another another big red flag is doctor shopping. So a lot of times we'll find that when a doctor says to the mother, there's nothing wrong with your kid, she'll go, well, I know there is. So I don't like you guys anymore and I'm gonna find a doctor that will, you know, treat my child because I know something is wrong. So people who go to lots and lots of uh, urgent care uh, who refuse to accept um, results, 
you know, that kind of thing is another red flag. And is there, do you find that there's comorbidity with other types of uh, personality disorders? In other words, does uh, Munchausen's by proxy coexist with uh, borderline personality disorders or with other types of related, maybe similar personality access to uh, type of uh, diagnoses? Well, at one training, I said, yeah, the people who do this to their kids are a train wreck of access to disorders. Mm -hmm. um, the literature though has really drilled down. Depression is like 34%. Um, narcissism scores very high if you're able to actually get that. Um, there's also a lot of comorbidity of substance abuse and I would say close to 50% of the perpetrators have their own Munchausen or factitious or somatizing disorders as well. It's kind of how they learned the ropes. They learned how to play this game by starting doing it on themselves to get their own attention, probably when they were young. And I'm, I'm really interested by this idea that you just mentioned in that last phrase to get their own attention. What, can you talk a little bit about sort of, and I know it's hard to get to the root cause of, of an issue like this, but um, that idea of getting attention and seeking attention seems to be embedded within it somewhere. So, so I'm curious to hear, uh, you know, sort of if you could explain for us what the attention piece is. Sure. As a, as a pediatric nurse, we all remember how most kids hate being in the hospital. It's traumatic, they cry. It's why we now allow parents to stay with them and to sleep over. But back in the, back in the um, time that I was going to school in the seventies, we had visiting hours in pediatrics and um, the nurses all knew that for these kids being separated from their families was traumatic. But every once in a while, we'd have a child admitted who was just happy as can be. They'd sit at the nurse's station. They'd ask for popsicles. They were thriving in the hospital environment. And it did make us wonder what's going on in that kid's life at home, that being in the hospital is a happier place for them. Interesting. Now, Beatrice, I'm curious, how did you become interested in this type of child abuse? Well, I had just gotten my master's degree in child psychiatric nursing, and I got a great job in a big urban hospital in Atlanta on the child psych consult service. So any child or adolescent that had some kind of mental health disorder or um, traumatic experience like gunshot wounds. We would see those kids, kids with uh, cancer diagnoses, kids on the burn unit. And we saw the kids who were evaluated for child abuse. And my very first case was in 1981, shortly after Roy Meadows article. And it was a little two-year-old who was coming in for his ears were bleeding and his mother kept bringing him into the emergency room with bleeding ears and the doctors could not figure out what was going on because typically if you have an ear infection, 
You have pus coming out of your ears, not blood. And there was a big red flag. This little boy had lost a sibling at the age of two who was born before he was. And in the whole Munchausen by proxy arena, that is a warning sign, prior sibling death, particularly if it was SIDS or some unknown uh, cause of death. Mm. And this, this kid's death was unknown. So the pediatrician said to me, B, here is Roy Meadows article. I want you to read about Munchausen by proxy and I want you to work up this kid. Could this mother be doing it? And I read the article which I'll be happy to go into, but I won't right now. And I thought, you know, the mother does not seem to be attention seeking or doctor shopping. But I did read that the gold standard test is to separate the child from the primary caregiver for a month or two or however long it takes to determine whether or not the symptoms go away. So we placed that little baby luckily with a paternal grandmother, but we told the mom, you can't see the baby for a couple of months. We want to see what's causing this bleeding. And his ears kept bleeding. Hmm. That prompted us to do further workups. So it, and it turned out that the little kid had a rare genetic disorder that caused bleeding from multiple orifices. He did die a few months later of this rare genetic disease that had killed his older sibling. So it turns out my very first case was a rule out, not Munchausen case, but right. it taught me all about how this exists. And then all the cases after that were Munchausen, except for a few others that I ruled out. And, you know, I, this may be a tangent here, but I'm so curious about uh, some of your ideas on how to train medical professionals, how to ed educate the medical community and to sort of um, increase awareness about this, um, this particular condition, but also to sort of balance that, I would imagine, with the need to trust patients and the need, you know, to, to not go overboard in the other direction and start to be distrustful immediately of, of what folks are telling us as providers. That is an excellent point. And the field has been struggling with that for the last you know, 15, 20 years. So one way to just educate people is the way the pediatrician did with me, give them an article that just describes a few cases. And in the Roy Meadow article, I do wanna just take a second and talk about this because once a healthcare provider sees the light bulb go off, they don't have to always be suspicious, but they can think critically. So in the Roy Meadow case, a little four-year-old girl had been hospitalized five times for intractable urinary tract infections. Every time they treated her with antibiotics, she would come right back in with um, white blood cells, red blood cells, bacteria in her urine and all reinfected. Hmm. They had put tubes in her urethra, they had done kidney x-rays, they had done all kinds of things. And on the fifth hospitalization, the pediatric nurse said to Dr. Meadow, who was the pediatrician, she said, you know, Dr. Meadow, if I collect the urine specimen, it comes back clean. Hmm. 
But if the mother collects the urine specimen, it comes back infected. And Dr. Meadow went, huh. So he set it up. The next day he ordered a 6 a.m. urine to be collected by the nurse and a 10 a.m. urine to be collected by the mother, sent them both down to the lab. And sure enough, the 6 a.m. urine was clear. The 10 a.m. urine had red blood cells and bacteria. Well, that lab tech, seeing the difference in the two, went one step further. He typed the blood cells in the urine and they were not the little girl's blood type. They were the mother's blood type. And she admitted to putting her menstrual blood in her child's urine. Wow. But it's just, it's just that that nurse, I think, was thinking critically and noticed the difference between a clear urine specimen and a cloudy one. And, um, you know, that's just the kind of thinking that I want doctors and healthcare providers to have. And the reason it's so counterintuitive is that most of these mothers are so attentive and so caring and so involved and so medically knowledgeable that um, people feel terrible if they suspect them of engaging in child abuse or of lying. But if you can just check a medical record, a classic example is a mother says, oh, my kid is so weakly and sick and failure to thrive. And I think they've got all kinds of things wrong with them. And uh, the baby was a preemie. Well, just go back to the medical record and double check. Was the baby really a preemie? Because in a lot of these cases, they just lie about the medical history. Hmm. And, you know, one thing that you're doing right now is trying to inform the larger audience. And you're going to be giving a training at the UAlbany School of Social Welfare's Continuing Education Program, a virtual training on Friday, February 26th, titled Munchausen by Proxy and Medical Child Abuse, Clinical and Case Management. So can you just briefly talk a little bit about what someone should expect at this training? And do they have to be, who's the audience for those who uh, should attend? Well, the audience is multidisciplinary. So, um, Anybody who's interested in child abuse, I think would definitely find this of value. I will be talking about, especially for social workers, I will be talking about how to do case management. Let's say the, you get a referral and it's been confirmed by the hospital that this is a victim of Munchausen by proxy and the child has been separated. The first thing the social worker is going to know is when is it safe to reunify? Can we even reunify? Um, so we have a whole bunch of protocols right. that we would share with social workers. Well, it seems like a really great training. And again, it's Friday, February 26th from 1 to 4 p.m. And it's virtual. So you can find out more information at the School of Social Welfare's website, www.albany.edu backslash SSW. And there's a link to our continuing education page. So thank you so much for continuing to get this message out there through workshops and even things like the podcast right now. And so if you've just tuned in, we're having a conversation and we're continuing our conversation with Beatrice Yorker, who is currently a professor of nursing and criminal justice and criminalistics at California State University, Los Angeles. So I'm really curious, B, um, when you, uh, you know, Alyssa mentioned that, that, that her first exposure to Munchausen 
um, by proxy was through a film. Is there a danger because this is uh, an issue, a topic that has sort of a, um, you, you know, it's a really unique story behind every case and it's it sometimes lends itself to movies and films and tv and entertainment that there's there's a shock value if you will e even in the stories that you've been sharing with us that you know it, it you know uh, it's surprising and and is there a danger to folks hearing about this and um either romanticizing it or or treating it as something more of a story than an actual uh, danger? That's not been my experience. Um, there, there's a lot of interest now in forensic science and mm -hmm. in forensic nursing. And it's because people do want to think critically. They do want to connect the dots. And I... Our field and the APSAC, the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children, um, which has published guidelines, and I will make those resources available in the webinar. So stay tuned for that, but anybody can look at what APSAC's website and look for guidelines on Munchausen by proxy. But in our field, we are actually appreciative that the media is now bringing it to the public's awareness because many of the cases are identified by relatives. Like Dr. Phil has had these people where the sister-in-law will say, oh my gosh, I know that my brother's wife is doing this to her kids. She's going, taking mm. them to the doctor all the time. They have all kinds of accommodations in school. And I know that she's doing it, that the kids aren't really that sick. So we want relatives. We want family members. I have a whole um, Rolodex of divorced fathers who are calling me and saying, my ex-wife is doing this to our kids. And, you know, how can I, how can I intervene? How can I get custody of them? How can I get someone to recognize that this is child abuse? We want people to recognize this form of abuse. But how common is this? And I know you said there's an under underestimate, but about how common is this? Oh, I, I really can't give you a number, but I can say it is much more common than it is intervened with. There are a lot of people who are getting their emotional needs met by over-medicalizing their children. And, and you, know, you, you mentioned the word intervention. That's where a lot of social work rest is in this idea of intervening to create change, to either help individuals change or communities change, social change, all these things. What, what is a, a typical intervention uh, for Munchausen proxy by proxy? Uh, what, what does a typical intervention look like, a course of intervention? So an intervention needs to be carefully coordinated because there is sometimes a maternal suicide risk once they're confronted. Um, several of our uh, perpetrators uh, became suicidal once we said, okay, we have videotape, we saw you smother your kid, we're going to remove your kid. Um, so you want to be very careful at once. You want to be very staged. You want to have multi-disciplines. You need the social worker there. And a lot of times it could be the social worker that picks it up. If they're making a home visit 
And for those of you that have watched The Act or the case of Gypsy Blanchard, which is also an HBO documentary, people who made home visits knew that she had a medicine cabinet stacked with all kinds of medicines that she was using to poison her child. So social workers need to have their eyes open for when a mother or parents are overly medicalizing their kids, kids in wheelchairs who can walk, kids who are homeschooled because they have some kind of chronic illness, double check that, make sure that the mother is not um, over medicalizing them and exaggerating their condition. I've had to um, work with social workers very closely on a mother who had her daughter homeschooled and finally the daughter got messages to her homeschool teacher that said, I'm being abused in here. My mother is administering CBD and pot to me to keep me looking sick. And, um, you know, I need to get out of here. So that's, you know, that's the kind of interventions is to remove the child. And I will talk a lot more about if and when you can reunify in the webinar. Yeah. So you also mentioned in your um, story just then, you, or that case example, you mentioned video surveillance. And I know that your law review article uh, also focuses on video surveillance. Can you talk about that as a component of, of the picture here? Well, so it's what, not, what is the video surveillance? It's a hidden camera in the child's mm. hospital room. Um, and it's, it's not, it, it's very costly. You have to have somebody watching the TV monitor, usually hospital security. Um, and now a lot of parents are kind of cued onto this. And in a way they should be. It's legal because video surveillance occurs pretty much everywhere. It's ubiquitous in our society these days. You have cardiac monitors, you have, you know, safety monitors, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but it, I will show in the webinar, I will show video surveillance in a pediatric hospital of a mother smothering her child. And that's very good in court. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the, as I, mean, I know you say it's some in, in the DSM, but what is, why is, why would a parent do this to their child? Is it only for the attention? Do they actually want to harm the child or is it just for the attention and let's drag this on for as many different doctors or people who will pay attention? Like what is the, I guess the overall thought processing, I mean, if there is one for a parent who is doing this? Well, for the factitious disorder, which is examining the perpetrator to figure out why, a true factitious disorder, it is for the medical attention. However, we see parents make their kids sick to get rid of their ex-husbands, to revenge upon their ex-husbands, to get extra SSI payments, to get um, attention from law enforcement, to, uh, there are a variety of most motives. And some of it is just plain malingering. You know, I wanna get these um, disability benefits. Well, no, it's, it's good to have a better understanding because there's, there's different variations of this 
you know, of Munchausen by proxy versus, you know, the, like you said, the true definition and then also other motives behind it. So that helps to understand as uh, someone's looking into, as a social worker might be looking into this as a case or a possibility, you know, having a better understanding of possible backgrounds and motives and, and reasons for what they're observing. Good. And it, it's interesting, uh, you know, I, just thinking about reflecting on this conversation a little bit, that, that this particular condition, this particular phenomenon of Munchausen's proxy by proxy um, really uh, exists at the intersection of medical care and the law and criminal justice. And, and there's sort of multiple, multiple players. I mean, you've talked about social work, nursing, uh, med- you know, physicians, but also there's a legal system that gets involved, right? Um, particularly when, when the, in the most extreme cases, you know, when it's child murder or when there's severe physical harm and when children are removed. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe this is a good way to sort of segue to your own sort of intersection between your expertise in, um, in the law and also in psychiatric nursing? But maybe talk about that intersection. Well, I think I'm like a lot of people today, because you can tell by television that um, I've always been drawn to crime stories, especially the motive and the profile. And um, I remember as an undergraduate in nursing school hearing Dr. Wilbur do a grand rounds in psychiatry on someone with multiple personality disorder. And I was just enthralled and I thought that is the kind of career I wanna have. And then I did realize that, um, especially when I was testifying in child abuse cases, I realized that I wanted to go on and get my doctoral degree so that I could be a professor. And I thought I'm gonna go to law school because I can do so much more for these abused kids than, you know, with a PhD in something, although that would be good too. But I was very fascinated by the legal side of things. So, and and is there, uh, do you see situations where that intersection of the criminal justice system and the legal system with the medical industry, uh, where there are, you know, confrontations there? So in other words, do the doctors and nursing and social work staff have, um, you know, particular difficulties interacting with the legal system and with the criminal justice element of these cases? Well, luckily, I have, as part of being a a member of APSAC, um, we are so Mm -hmm. collegial. We have, we really work things in a true multidisciplinary fashion. It's got to be a team with child advocacy centers, Law enforcement is working hand in glove with the sexual assault nurse examiner. Um, Medical professionals often do have to testify, whether it's for, you know, battering a wife, domestic violence, whether it's um, a terrible car accident. So um, I love teaching nursing students about forensic nursing, about the legal things Mm -hmm. that they're going to have to do as nurses. Great. It's been really wonderful having you on, Beatrice. Uh, You know, I I hope that folks will consider going to the the workshop that you're going to provide. It's an important topic. And um, 
I, I know you're teaching students about this topic as well, and I know that's that's important work too. Um, Alyssa, did you have other questions? No, I just wanted to thank you for coming on. It's I saw your yeah. workshop on the list, and that's why I reached out to you, because I thought it was such an interesting topic, and I wanted to capture it on the radio show, because, you know, if people can't make your workshop or if they're listening to this podcast at a later date, sometimes the content is just good to capture. And having you on as our, our expert today to talk about Munchausen by proxy and other types of medical child abuse has been really, really informative. Again, for those interested in Beatrice's workshop, it will be Friday, February 26th from 1 to 4 p.m. It is virtual, and you can find out more about how to register on the School of Social Welfare's web website, which is www.albany.edu backslash SSW, and click on the continuing education link. So thank you so much, Beatrice. Thank you. And for for listeners who are not able to attend that, uh, who may want to find out more about your work and about some of these ideas, how can they reach you and how can they, uh, wh where should they go to find out more about this topic? Um, that's a good question. How about if I send you a link to the APSAC okay. guidelines and there's also a recorded webinar uh, about an hour and a half long that I did in California for CPS. So I can give you a link to that webinar as well. That is perfect. great. We, we will put, yeah, we will put yeah, that in ahead, the, Melissa. we'll put that right in the description of the, in, of the interview. So that'd be really helpful to those who are listening. Thank you. All right, Eric. So you you've been listening to the social workers here on yeah, you've been listening to The Social Workers here on WCDB Albany, and we've been doing uh, an interview on The Social Workers with Beatrice Yorker, who's Professor of Nursing and Criminal Justice and Criminalistics at Cal State University, Los Angeles. Uh, Beatrice, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. If you've been listening to the show, we hope as listeners, you'll come back and hear our future episodes here on The Social Workers. Alyssa, thank you for co-hosting. And uh, till the next time. Thank you. You're listening to The Social Workers on WCDB Albany.